I, I am impressed by your backdrop there. I mean, I'm a big believer. You got to keep the sponsors happy, Zach, you know? And I'd be lying if I said behind me didn't take all morning because it certainly did. And uh... <laughs> was this like, did it all, was this a morning project? It was. And you know what? You should feel like, you should feel honored because I... of the first time I've ever done like a video Zoom. I've always just had like a logo as okay. a person, you know, because of my face and stuff. I... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if you connected the dots based on my background, but I wasn't planning on this being a video podcast. <laughs> so... Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. If it's audio only, that is too funny. I'm dead serious. That was my plan was audio oh, only. Good then. Do it, man. That's totally fine. I'm, I'm, I feel really terrible now, though. <laughs> no, I have fuck. Now I feel like an idiot. Oh. <laughs> I, oh, we got we to gotta break this down more. Hold uh, on. How much, sorry, how much time did you put into this? No, oh, that's like an hour and a half tops. Ah, okay. Yeah. okay. Are you going to be able to use it for anything else? I, th- you know, what? I got a couple of meetings this week, so I, I'll, I'll keep it up there to make it seem like I'm a big deal. But... I, feel, I feel really bad. Should we do this? Do it, man. Let's go Let's for it. Let's do it. I was thinking about the. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a while, but I remember hearing. I saw something on Instagram. I won't say who it was, but someone was talking about, it, and and the gist of it was like, you know, you have to be kind of crazy to to be world class right you have to kind of be different from everyone else and 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 be crazy enough to pursue the unrealistic goals and there's actually like interesting stuff about that in um i think it's good to great the jim collins book about like big hairy audacious goals and stuff but i'd heard enough uh sort of contradictory evidence that that i that i started digging into it and so I, this is the, I had, I prepared this. I feel like I'm cheating because I did some prep work, but it was all prep work that I did before I was presenting to some athletes and coaches a while back. And so this is like uh Krejcikova. If anyone remembers Krejcikova, I don't know what her ranking is now, she, but she's doing relatively well, but she won the French open in, I think it was 2018 yep. uh, or 2019 maybe. Um, and like that September was the first time that she had cracked the, the top hundred. And so she'd been, she was 25. She'd been playing singles for seven years, nothing really remarkable. Uh, hadn't broken the top hundred, but she was a really good uh, doubles player. She'd won junior slams and doubles. Uh, she was the world's highest ranked doubles player in 2018, it looks like. And she just hadn't had any real success in singles. Um, and so this is a quote for her. She says, uh, coming to the tournament, I tried to change my mind. Maybe I'll never make it. Maybe I'm just going to be a doubles player. I kind of realized I was okay with that. And so she essentially like almost lowered her expectations to say like, you know what? I'm good with, I'm good with where I'm at. Um, and then she ended up, uh, saving a match point in the semis and, and winning the, winning the final in three sets and winning a single slam. Um, this is Swiatek, uh, who's obviously incredibly dominant. And she goes, uh, it was pretty hard for me to believe that I was going to be number one. She said, because thinking logically, when you take my country, how many people have succeeded? It was only Rodwanska, basically. The probability of me becoming a tennis superstar was pretty small. I like maths and my brain usually thinks about probability. So I felt that maybe it's not sure and it would be hard to make it happen. Um, she says, uh, yeah, she stayed in school until she finished high school. She said, I always had a plan B. Even when I was 18, I still went to high school and I was really focused on that. I felt like I was working two jobs at a time. Even in 2020, I still felt like I needed a plan B in case tennis was not going to work out. And then, uh, sorry for lecturing here, but then uh, here's, uh, Federer. He goes, uh, I come from a really normal background here. Sports was always one of my favorite things to do besides going to school. I was going to be happy if I won one tournament. And if I would have made the tour top hundred and had the chance to play at Wimbledon, that would have been enough for me. But of course, as time went by, you readjust your goals and it became from top hundred to top 50 to top 10 to hopefully one day world number one and uh, so on and so forth. 
Um, and then you have Murray is my last one. Then you have Murray who goes, um, I kind of accepted that I may never win a grand slam, but that I was doing everything that I could to give myself the best chance to do that. And I was okay with that. Murray said in 2017, once I sort of got that into my head that I was working as hard as I could and doing the best that I could, I was fine with that. And then two months later, he won his first grand slam. So that was in 2012. Um, but on the flip side, you have Djokovic, um, who talks about like, you know, when I was a kid, I was constructing a Wimbledon trophy out of improvised material that I could find in my room. I was looking myself in the mirror saying, I am Novak Djokovic, Wimbledon champion. To win this sacred and most special tournament for me for the sixth time is surreal. Uh, my imagination was very realistic. Even as, as every kid, I dreamed, imagined, visualized, and believed 100% of my dreams like they were already achieved. So clearly, at least in my mind, different, different paths, like different motivations. For sure. You know, my takeaway from that, I'm curious to hear what you think, but like my takeaway from that was that it's not so much about the motivations as it is about the behaviors. Cause I don't doubt that any of these people had a, an extremely strong work ethic and good habits and were very professional and had the right, all the right factors going, you know, surrounding them, whether it's mm -hmm. the coaching team and the resources and all that stuff to, to help them achieve their goals. But, um, but I think it's, it seems clear anyway that they all nonetheless had different motivations or different uh, sources of motivation. Sure. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on there. And I think just jumping back to the barber thing at the start, uh, barber toured with a buddy, a buddy of mine, Taylor Hawthorne from Canada for, uh, for a long time, up until two or three months before she actually won the French open. Okay. It'd be interesting to, to rack Taylor's brain about like, what was it that, that changed, but to your point or what you're alluding to, may, maybe the fact that she just, completely took pressure off herself and then had like a tremendous impact on how, how she was able to perform big moments. Right. Um, but getting to your other point about like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's like anything else in tennis, a unbelievably vast range of things that motivate or demotivate players. And so for Novak, maybe it was looking himself in the mirror. Like I know you spend a lot of time with Sharon Fishman and um, who's I think top hundred in the world in doubles right now, but she was an under 12 orange bowl champion when she was working with Ben Armstrong and Ben would make her like practice lifting the orange bowl trophy as a, as a form of visual visualization. Wow. Um, so that's, that's all to say, like, I'm sure there's not one correct approach with that stuff, but it would be interesting to like be able to ask them if, if they think those things help them perform in big stages or, or whatever else. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really interesting. And like when I actually started this uh, presentation here in Sweden, like I said to some, some coaches and players, um, I actually started as it's dangerous now because you can talk about all sorts of things in Sweden and no one fact checks all the Canadian stuff, mm -hmm. but now this might go out to some Canadians might be listening, but this is back. If you remember at, uh, at the start of the pandemic, there were a couple of, uh, webinars and things. And I remember there was one with, there was one with Vashek and there was one with, um, that, uh, Robbie Menard organized with, uh, Layla. And it was so interesting because I, if I remember correctly, and this is where I'm sure I'm remembering half of this wrong, but like, if I remember correctly, they were a week apart and I can't remember which one was first, but essentially, um, you know, they were, they were asked something about motivation and, and, um, when they were younger and Vashik essentially said like, yeah, I loved it. Like we spent all day on the court and we were playing and competing and training. And I just, I absolutely loved it. And Layla said, and once again, I'm paraphrasing here, but Layla said something to the effect of like, yeah, I hate waking up in the morning, but it's my job. I have goals and like, I hate doing this stuff, but I've got to do it. And right. that was such a clear moment in my head of these they're getting something or they're doing these things for different reasons. They have the same end goal, but mm -hmm. they're being motivated in a different way. And I don't think either one is right or wrong. I yeah. think they're, they have found different ways 
to push themselves to help achieve their goals. And so that was sort of my starting framework. Like I said, when I presented all this, um, because yeah, going back to your thing, I think that why I think this is important or interesting is that I think some people can place, like you said, a lot of pressure on themselves if they have this mindset of you have to be crazy and you have to dream of it every night and you have to make this your soul life purpose. I think people can, some people can feel, you know, a lot of pressure in that situation and actually underperform as opposed to in like the examples that I gave, as opposed to accepting that, Mm -hmm. Hey, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I I like it. I'm doing this because I I enjoy traveling. I enjoy competing. I like hitting the ball. I'm proud of of what I've accomplished. I'm here for the journey. And then they feel relieved and actually perform better. Whereas others, it's not the case. So to that point, it's like, I think we can look at motivation as like everybody motivates themselves differently. But I think if you were to, if you were to sort of piggyback on one characteristic that I'm sure they all share, it's like some, some inherent level of desire that drives them to want to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And now um, the desire for all of them might be the same where it's like, well, I, I want to win. And in some aspect, I want to win, whatever that might be. Um, and if we scale that back and like, what's well, people show that desire or the motivation linked with that desire, I guess, in really different ways. Right. And so the only reason I say this is because we're having like in, in my own coaching right now, it's like, I used to be very structured in like the annual planning of our players and like they have to meet the long-term athletic development standards for what they're doing. They even have a chance and over the lot, like through the pandemic and a bunch of other reasons and injuries happen and stuff. And it's just, none of our players anymore are, have the exact same plan. And uh, it's just been like way more, what I'm trying to say, it's, it's just been like a, way more beneficial to each individual player when they're not all being held to the same standard of like what mm. it means to be motivated or what it means to be getting all your hours in. Cause that's <laughs> to some extent could be different for, for everybody. Right. Yeah. No, that's a bit of a tangent from what we we're talking about, but I'd be curious. No, but uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. If, don't know if I have any, any intelligent thoughts, but I can, I can simply throw a question back at you, but um, yeah, I mean, that's sort of what that's part of the same conversation for me because I think there's sort of two school two schools of thought sometimes you have the people on one side who are um you know saying that you have to adhere strictly to certain milestones right you have to be at this ranking have these results at this level at a certain stage to have any chance right. and then you have the other end of the spectrum which is like anyone can become a pro you just have to work hard and it's like and, and and I think it's clear that neither extreme is right. I think most people sure. would agree with that. The question is, where is that middle ground? I was thinking about this. Um, I was thinking about this just, just the other day, like uh, Gab Diallo uh, doing super good, the Canadian doing super good at challenger challenges this year. He's yeah, up to over two. Well, yeah, there we go. Up to like 250. And I coached against him, against him briefly at under 18 nationals, but otherwise I was like, I don't remember a ton of him. Like, I remember a little bit, um, maybe from my time in Quebec or maybe just after, but then I was in BC. Um, but I remember hearing a little bit about him here and there. And like I said, he did good at that nationals, yeah. but I didn't remember hearing a ton else. And I looked and I looked at his, uh, his ITF junior profile and of course, nothing, nothing huge there, but he also didn't play a lot of events. And so I don't know if maybe he was injured or whatever. So I don't know the story. Of course, it's possible that he, he was a top hundred player and just didn't, didn't was injured or whatever. Who knows? Um, but the point is he certainly hasn't met those ranking milestones. He certainly didn't follow sure. that trajectory. If you look at it from a purely numbers perspective. Yeah. And, and so, guess, yeah, 
even an existing outlier in that is like how much how much of him being an absolute physical and athletic beast plays into the fact that that he's now where he's at despite maybe mm. not meeting the milestones when he was younger and i'm yeah. sure that, that's got to play a role but i'm sorry continue no i was just gonna say like because i think it you know it's the it's the the louis uh you know the, the louis quote right is like you know how are you an international coach well it's like you know the answer to everything is it depends but like the next level is is being able to say it depends on what hmm. right and so i think we if if we're like going to say if we're going to say you know these it can work for some people and what doesn't work for other people then i think the discussion then becomes well how can you how can you identify is it just a lottery or is there a metric that we're not looking at? So beyond the milestones and beyond this, then is it, like you said, is it the physical characteristics where you go, okay, you know what? This person hasn't reached the, the milestones, but we think they could really become a physical specimen and, and X, Y, Z, or we say, oh, they're tall, or we say, oh, or is it motivation? You go, oh, this, this person hasn't reached the, the milestones, but they're way more motivated than these other people. That's kind yeah, of my, I mean, that's, it's definitely oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. But that's kind of my, my, my wonder is, is there, is there maybe a, a better framework or is there another factor to consider in these discussions? Because I don't love, I don't love, I mean, I guess of course there is an element of, of chance to everything, but I don't love this idea of like, well, anyone can do it. I mean, like, you know, there's no yeah. way to tell. It's like, that seems maybe, maybe it's hard to predict, but certainly there's things that we can influence or, or, or have an effect over yeah. um, because I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not in a federation, so I'm not in a position to, to or i'm not i'm not particularly interested at the moment in like talent id but as a coach from a coach's perspective of course you want to be able to influence those factors that that help players have a chance to make it yeah and to your point i mean like we're, we're both high performance coaches so it's i think it's um like we have to believe it's not random right right yeah and like what would our what our role be but to, to quote louis again and i'm not not at all surprised that 10 minutes into this we quoted louis twice but <laughs> he came and did did a seminar that was sort of <laughs> the whole the whole crux of it was on beating randomness right and yep. like if you look at all these academies around the world like what are the chances that over a 40-year span that academy is going to have one player who's unbelievable and the right. chances are pretty high yeah right now as you look at like different academies and it's like how do you beat the randomness of we didn't, we didn't just have one over 40 years we're consistently year after year turning out players yeah which goes back to your point is like there has to be there has to be some reason why these things happen right yeah yeah um, and that's and and that's because and that's the thing because I think so often then the discussion turns to mindset and it's and it's not always but of course this is what sells most and that was kind of the other point I was trying to make to people is like we have to keep in mind this is what sells whether it's coaching whether it's tickets whether it's books is the 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 story around you have to want it more you have to be crazy you have to be willing to give everything up like that sells tickets and there's yeah. a degree of truth to it. Well, at the end of the day, that, that stuff certainly doesn't hurt. I right. mean, with the outlier of that being like potential injury, but outside of that, it's like that it can't hurt, right? Doing all those things or embracing all those things. But I think, yeah, but I think it's about, but I think it's about habits or behaviors more than it is about attitudes almost. I want to be careful how I phrase that because I do think beliefs and mindsets and things are, are huge. I, I don't, I'm not, but I think like going back to what we said at the start, like, I think that some people then feel an enormous amount of pressure mm -hmm. uh, and, and it can either they feel pressure or they feel constantly frustrated because they're not reaching their own goals. Right. right. But it's some variation of either pressure or extreme frustration that then ends up hampering them. And so that's why I, I, in my head anyway, but of course, if you jump in, but like in my head anyway, then it's more about 
the behaviors that come about as a result of those beliefs or those mindsets that people are talking about. Cause then the behaviors are, you work incredibly hard, you push yourself, you're focused, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think people arrive at those behaviors or can arrive at those behaviors in different ways. Yeah. Well said. So then in your, in your own coaching, then like when you're working and you're working with like a ton of great Swedish players right now, um, what are the behaviors that you specifically look for in an athlete? Or like, what are, what are the behaviors that you've seen from some athletes that you've worked with that to you, at least you're like, wow, this, this, this kid's really got a chance because they, they just embody X, Y, and Z. I mean, I think the one thing, it's hard to answer because it's so individual and, and, you know, you see people with in different contexts and different cultures and. Well, it uh, is individual though, but I'm sure like you, you yeah. yourself, you have things that you really latch onto, right? As yep. we all yeah, but it's always a but it's but it is always a process of reflection of uh, because the, I don't want to be too because you don't want to be too prescriptive to say to, to 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 cut someone off or not cut someone off but to to write someone off and say ah oh, they're you know they don't they don't want it enough so they don't uh, you know they're not going to make it but if I had to put it down to a couple of things like for me funnily enough the biggest thing that I come back to a lot with my athletes and and with myself and with other coaches is the serenity prayer. And I'm not a religious person, but the serenity prayer is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And for me, I actually think that's huge because I find that most players struggle with one of the first two, um, which I guess is the third. Repeat it one more time for me. Sure. Uh, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can okay. and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay. And, and you, your feeling overall is athletes have a difficult time with one of the first two in general. Well, which I guess is really the third one, which is knowing the difference between the two. But I, I, I find that either athletes are very bad at, not very bad, but athletes struggle accepting things they can't change. Whether it's their ranking or their tournament result or things like that they they dwell on it they it festers they become frustrated or they feel this pressure or whatever it is they have trouble accepting things that they can't change or on the other hand athletes don't control the things that they can control they don't change the things that they can change in other words they have the potential to if someone if someone says hey you know clearly look at your fitness testing results you're not fit enough you're gonna have to do xyz this you're gonna have to do more of this or hey you're going to have to work on this aspect of your game, or you're going to have to bring a higher level of focus or whatever. And they have the opportunity to enact change Uh and they don't, and they don't do it. And so I think that, I think there's those two categories. There's the players who are so driven. They're so obsessed with their goals that they can't accept the things that they can't control. And then that, that affects them. Or there's the players who are almost too content yeah. And they have the opportunity to make changes to to take ownership mm-hmm. and they don't do it. And right. then there's the ones in the sweet spot. And those are the ones who I think progress the fastest yeah. is the ones who are able to accept what they can't change. But then if there's anything that they have a degree of control over, mm-hmm. they take control of it. Right. How much of those, how much of those characteristics do you think are uh, like inherited characteristics from like parents and stuff? And how much of, how much do you think a coach can instill like those ideologies in an athlete yeah that's a very scary that's a very scary question going back to your thing about like as coaches we have to assume it's more than random but like a buddy of mine actually sent not exactly that question 
Um, but he sent uh, basically, he sent he, he sent the question of like, you know, you're a really good fighter. You're a really good competitor. Like what percentage of that comes down? He sent it to a bunch of athletes that he knew who, who fit that, that characteristic. And he basically said like, what percentage of it is parents, uh, coaches, inborn trait and then it was like upbringing or maybe or experiences or something like that mm-hmm. uh i think it was those are the four and the majority i have to double check with him because last time i talked he was still getting in answers but the majority said parents yeah that was the, that's, the that's what i would think too right and yeah. it's no I, I do think that stuff is it's all trainable with an athlete and again a coach's responsibility i feel like my my role is to believe that everything is trainable right. um but it's it's like even and in talking about that stuff and training the athlete, there's also like the behavior of the parent and training, training the parent to enforce, enforce yeah. those ideologies or that message as well, which is certainly not always the easiest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always, I, go ahead. If it's, if it's okay with you. Could we jump back into the desire thing for a sec? That's I, not, not okay with me. That's I got a buddy named Ray played at a really high level. He's, he's around uh, 55 now played division one tennis and he gets, whenever we, we drink and have beers, he just talks about like, if I'm talking about my athletes, the only question he keeps asking me is like, well, what's their level of desire? What's their level of desire? And this is like the only thing that he thinks really drives an athlete is like the level of desire. Now it's tough to, like we talked about earlier, it's tough to measure desire all the time because cer- some people will certainly show it differently. Yep. And an example I would give is like Ilya Tiraspolsky sometimes has displayed, who's an athlete that I work with at university of Indiana, one, one big 12 doubles this year. He has gone through stages of his life where showing absolutely no desire, but then he's mm-hmm. gone through stages of his life being having incredibly high levels of desire without mm-hmm. showing it. And so I, I guess my my rambling question to you, right, is like, how is it that that you see desire in somebody or how is it that like you might me- measure an athlete's worth based on how much they're going to do things without being asked or, or just show this desire that they're going to be great? But... Uh... I, and I feel bad because I'm going to throw it right back at you. But how do you know, and I'm not questioning you, but it's an honest question. How do you know that he had that desire if he didn't show it? Uh, through conversation. Like, not to be like overly simple. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, no, but that's that's fine. That's that's what I figured. But but we've been on uncertain trips where I'd, I'd say to the guy like, hey, you with it? And he's like, no. Like, okay. Yeah. And then other times, other times driving to a match and he'll say things like, I'm like sneaky, really tough, eh? And so he'll 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 verbalize things that will sort of at least tip me off to how he's feeling inside or like how much fight he's actually going to have at a, at a certain period of time. Yeah. Um, now, a lot of athletes aren't like that, but like, you, you know, you know, Ilya to know that he's not very expressive. So like right. verbal is one of the only things we can really go on yep. with the guy. Um, but that I mean, that I feel like that in large part answers the question. Like, I feel like you have to you have to you have to base it off of something but i think too like presumably in those moments when he was feeling more desire if we want to call it that sure his behavior was different as well yeah i mean you can correct me if i'm wrong but but there there would have been visible differences no I think if you if you know him really well you're right the behavior you could notice the behavior would be different and if you didn't know him really well, you wouldn't necessarily right. notice a difference in behavior. No, no. Right. Well, and that comes into like the other piece of all this, which is athletic ability. 
<laughs> like we haven't even touched on that. And I don't know Ilya very well. I've seen him a few, you know, saw, saw him a few times, but, um, but you have to factor that in, has to be you know, it, if you look at like a, like a curious type, right. Mm-hmm. Like there's some people who are just naturally more athletic than others. For sure. And I think Ilya is a pretty decent athlete. And so you're just looking at me blankly so maybe no i think i think Ilya's... you're disagreeing i couldn't tell no no no, no, no. I, I just think i'm calling like... up Ilya right now yeah, i think you're a shitty athlete no oh, well. i think there's varying levels of what what we consider skilled in in athletics as well we're like uh Ilya's perceptual skills and his hand and timing skills are excuse my language fucking world class yeah like could not be better yeah but now his his general athletic ability of like how well does he how well does he move how well does he x y and z like those things I, I certainly wouldn't consider even above average. Sure. I guess I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I guess when I say that, I mean coordination because like oh, okay. all the yeah. other stuff essentially can be developed over a few sure. months, a little few months, a few years type of thing. Like if you put time, like whereas coordination, of course, we know there's, you know, peak windows and all that stuff. But like coordination for me is huge. The ability, like you said, to see the ball, time the ball. Yeah. Because um, the speed strength stuff, if you have a, a modicum of athletic genes then you're then you're good to go um because i'm i'm doing a great job of not answering your question but i think like no it's it's maybe it has no answer either but it's just yeah because i think that's another factor where you have to consider and sit there and go like there's some like this is the other thing this is the other thing too that i think people don't that people don't want to hear as if i'm like you know busting the government on some big conspiracy but like the 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 thing that some people don't always want to hear is that like there's going to be people who are going to work their hardest and there's going to be people who work at eight percent and those people are more athletic and they'll always be better than the hundred percent people yeah i think there, there there are people and of course it's not always that extreme for sure but there are plenty of people who will work their butts off and lose to someone who doesn't work at all but is more athletic yep, yep. that's going to happen and 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 that's also part of the acceptance thing i think is like if that pisses you off I think, you know, you have no control over that. Yeah. And I think at some point there's a level, like if that constant, like, I mean, certainly in the junior, if, if juniors were playing, like if there was a curious on the junior tour mm-hmm. and they're, they're, you know, they're probably somewhere there, but like, I can imagine so many juniors going, what the hell? This guy just made like finals of Wimbledon yeah. and he barely practices, doesn't do anything. But like, that's, that's the luck of the draw. You have to be in it for more than just the results, I think. Otherwise, we'll go crazy. I think you're right. And that sort of goes full circle to like your very first point of this whole thing, which is like, which is centered around, I guess, the different, the way the way athletes said, like, oh, I wasn't sure I was going to make it, you know what I mean? And then you have a guy like Novak said I was going to make it for sure. And then yeah. you have a guy like Nick who just for one year is like, well, I'm just going to try like a little bit harder than I've been trying. And you see <laughs> other results change, right? But Must be nice. to get you back on that, how much of, Okay, there's so much stuff online about everybody and their mother saying how talented Kyrgios is. Sure. And I'm not going to deny he's certainly talented for sure. But how much do you think his sometimes lack of caring has contributed to how talented he's perceived to be? By which I mean, break point against Rafa, slaps a forehand winner from a position he shouldn't, like, some, some might say he shouldn't even try that shot from that position. But it's it's almost tanking. It's almost like whatever. But the shot ends up being ridiculous. So now that now it is like this guy's so talented. It's like okay, well, how many other pros in the world, if they didn't give a shit, could make that same shot from the same position? Or like you've been around like high level practice courts enough to see like 
some of the stuff that these guys do just practicing is is ridiculous. Yeah. Now, does that stuff manifest all the time in matches? No, because there's maybe a decision-making process or there's statistics that come into play with like what shot they're going to try at, at a yeah. certain time, right? Anyway, you clear on the question? Because I rambled for a while. There. <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't end in a question mark, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's... Uh, I think you have a point, but I think like... I don't think it factors in too much. Of course, I think there's this, like, the once again, there's a narrative that sells of, like, this guy, greater than God athletic, but he doesn't doesn't try. What a crazy story. What a, like, of course, that sells, and so people push it. So I understand, I do get what you're coming, where you're coming from. I think that at the same time, I don't think necessarily people say he's so athletic because he hits great shots on break point or whatever. Because I thought like he was not clutch at all against Djokovic in the final. And, and you're right like, here. And I, I, I maybe made a poor example by making up this break point against Rafa thing. Like, I don't know if that point ever happened, but. Oh, I thought you, I thought you had a point in mind. No, no, no. I thought you had, okay. It, it, was, it was more a example, more of an example than anything else. But yeah. I think, I, I think that, you know, when, <laughs> maybe we'll never know because it's hard to see him when he's trying his hardest. But I think like, once again, I think when we, at least when I think of him as an athlete, it comes down to coordination. Mm-hmm. And and for that matter, at least in his case, arm speed. Sure. Like his ability to generate pace, his ability to to have a fast arm and still put the ball on the court, um, his ability to time the ball. I think he's probably, I don't know, I don't, I don't watch enough pro tennis these days, but I think he's, um, you know, fast and, and, and fast twitch and speedy around the court and stuff. And obviously if he trained and trained harder, then probably those things would be amplified. But um so maybe he's not the most athletic guy in the top 100 maybe but i i I don't know based once again it depends how you define athletic or talented i guess that was the word that we started with right was was talented but like um it depends how you define all those things but i think if you look at like his his ability to manipulate the make the ball do what he wants yeah it's not just his ability to find the middle of the racket and his ability to swing to to you know to swing fast but i think he's also pretty good when it comes to to moving the ball around changing direction taking speed off playing with spin like yeah, he can make the ball do what he wants yeah. um i think better than a lot of people um and so i guess that's that's why i i put him in that category of athletic or talented or whatever word you want to use yeah okay so i have another question for you so all right we talked about that the we talked about the example of a Gab Diallo who maybe wasn't super successful when he was under sixteen or under fourteen or under twelve. What are your thoughts on how important winning is to an athlete under twelve, and specifically to do with developing a psychology of I'm a winner? That's interesting. Can you? Define what you mean by a psychology of I'm a winner. Yeah. So, and if, for, for the international audience, forgive me, because most of the stuff that I spew is ten, uh, tennis Canada. Uh, we have a huge international audience. There's going to be <laughs> thousands of people listening to this. So you better, yeah. Got it. So like one of the, I guess, mantras with, with tennis in Canada is that U12 results to some to some degree don't matter. And that like, the long-term development is way more important than the results of, a, of an under-12 athlete. Um, however, my current feeling is that that's one of the most important times in a player's development where they a learn how to win or they learn how to compete. Um, 
And if they do those things well, regardless of how they might project long-term, if they come out of under 12s with this psychology of like, I'm a winner, I'm one of the top kids in the country at my age. Um, like, I think that's incredibly important. And I think in my own coaching, I've gone the opposite way where I've devalued results at young ages too much to the point where I've indirectly made some kids not as competitive or not as much of a fighter as they should have been. So again, it's another question that ends in a statement, but you're up. <laughs> oh, but that makes sense. I mean, I think that, I think it's, it's about balance and it's about how you define things. I think like, well, I think one of the most important things overall in player development is getting the win loss ratio, right? Yeah. Like I think, That's I tough. think managing that is huge um, and being able to make it, being able and willing to make adjustments during the year and, and play up and play down. And because um, both are dangerous. I mean, uh, you know this, but both are dangerous winning too much or losing too much. I think getting that balance, right. I mean, people talk about it, but I think that's one of the most critical jobs as a coach. Um, and so that's, so that plays a role. So I think like getting match experience under 12. Yeah. They have to be competitors. They have to be to, 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 to fight, to learn, to win, to learn, to lose. They have to get that match experience. They have to get a good ratio of wins to losses. They have to feel confident winning builds motivation. They have to feel like they can win matches, um, preferably win tournaments, you know, even if it's a lower level, but like, feel like, Hey, I can, I've won a tournament. Um, I think, I think that's really big. I I'm not convinced about the, I'm one of the top in the country sort of thing, but it's also been a long time since I coached under 12. So it's, if I were back in that environment now, maybe I'd have a clearer opinion on it. I don't, I think there's, I think there's value in it. Um, but you know, I, I think it's valuable if someone can say like, Hey, and see themselves on the quote unquote national stage. Like, I think that's cool. I think that's helpful. Um, but at the same time, if they're not at that level, I don't know if it's a complete disaster. Yeah. 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 I think it's more about, I, I think it's more about the mental skills associated with competing mm-hmm. than it is about the belief that I'm one of the best in the country. Yeah, maybe I, that's think, better way to it. I think the belief of I can win matches and I can win tournaments mm-hmm. and I am a, certainly I am a tennis player, of course, and like all and I'm a competitive tennis player. All this like I think those beliefs or those um I suppose they're more mindsets. I think those are critical. Right. Um, and of course we can play the numbers game and say like, well, if you're not one of the best in the country at that age, then how does that, you know, what are your projections and all that stuff? We can do that. But from purely a psychological point of view, like, I don't know how big of a deal it is for them Mm. to feel like I'm one of the best in the country, because as you know, it can come with tons of pitfalls as well. Right. I mean, like whether it's pressure or disappointment in the future or whatnot, like, there's plenty of risks associated with that sort of thinking as well. Yeah. But what's your rationale? Like what's, what's your basis for that? I, okay. Part of it is coaching related as well, where I think to some extent, and I'm sure you would feel the same, but there's, there's a large window of time after U 12s where I think you can, you can still get a heck well, I mean, you can get a tremendous amount of work done if somebody doesn't have certain skills. So like if you have an under 12 athlete that has, 
all of the psychology or competitive skills already. And maybe they're a little bit behind on, let's say some, some technical things or some striking things. Like I personally feel like I, I can bridge that gap. Um, mm-hmm. As a coach, I can bridge that gap for the athlete easier or more easily than I can potentially bridge the psychological gaps that they might not have developed when they were under 12. Yep. And now maybe that's that maybe that's just like part of it's like, well, you, I need to be better coaching psychology, but I think you, you and I are the same where I think every component, we, there's never a time that you or I are going to say that we couldn't be stronger at coaching some component right. of tennis. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think that makes perfect sense. The only thing, uh, and I think it not to be the, it depends guy, but I think it does depend on the athlete because of course oh, there's of course. some who like, if they don't have the technical base and they're not athletic enough, then you go like, all right, well, this is, this, yeah. you know, so some people mature and develop differently, but like, I think that logic makes sense. What I'm curious about is why you think the psychology of like, I'm one of the best in Canada is so valuable because of course, then you could argue, oh, it's so important for them to be one of the best in the world and have that psychology. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, I, and again, I use the, I use the, I'm one of the best in Canada loosely. I, I mean, I think as long as the, I'm holding you to it, Al, it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's written in stone. Now yeah, it's, it's going up on the website. Al Miller, you have to be one of the best in Canada. Gotta be what a plug for TC right there. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think if, if they come out of it, maybe it should be more specific. If they come out of it with the mindset of like, I'm a winner, I believe I'm going to win every match. Like every time I step on the court, I believe yep. I'm going to win. Yep. I think that that's the thing that's valuable. Yeah. Or one of the things that breaks my heart the most is in the amount of athletes that step on court, be like, oh, I'm, I'm playing this guy who's a 12.4 uh, UTR. And it's like, and you can just tell by the way they're saying it, that they're they're stepping onto the court um, looking for an experience as opposed to looking to compete. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, proves, proves me right. It goes back to win-loss ratio. That's, yep. that's but that's but but that's why i that's why i i uh believe so much in that because i think that fosters then this this belief that i can win that's yep. quite as simple as that and i think and i and like i said as well there's i mean it was a casey curtis quote i read this geez years ago but he said it to milos at one point um when when he was coaching milos it was like some players win matches and some players win tournaments and he was like, there's a huge difference between the two. And I thought that was really interesting. But I think having that, having that, um, yeah, belief that I can, not only can I win matches, but I can win tournaments, yeah. um, I think is, is big because you're going to, you're going to, yeah, there's a big difference in, between the types of players who only win matches and the players who win tournaments. And so if you can get that experience at an early age, yep. um, it's a different, it's a different skill. For sure. And just to piggyback on that one comment, I think there's, and I don't know why this made me think of it right now, but some programs on Instagram post photos of their kids training and some programs on Instagram post photos of their kid holding tro- kids holding trophies. Mm. And I think there's an incredible difference between those two things as well. And the, one of those, one of the reasons I bring that up is because I think like your Academy does a really good job of like, every time you guys post something, it's somebody holding a trophy. So it's like, well, they must be doing something right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now that that's a, a giant tangent from what we were just talking I about. Got so I got so worried there for a second. Because I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure which side you were going to come down on. Because you no, can no. make because I, I get now I get the point you're making. But I was, of course you could say you could sit there and go like, oh well, that's overvaluing results and like the training is what's important and all that stuff. So I wasn't sure if that's where you were. Uh, that's where you were going with that. I don't run the academy uh, Instagram anyway, so I can wash right. my hands of that. But I, I appreciate the the plug and the, uh, oh, the praise. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's good. Yeah. 
Oh, Miller, have we solved all the world's problems? I think so. I think that's it. We solved it. Good job. Yeah, as usual. Done. Every uh, yeah, time we, well, that, we solve it, so it's pr- pretty much they just keep coming back. But yeah. uh, if people could stop screwing up, and that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, man. All right, man. Thanks well, for thanks chatting. Man. Appreciate it. Yeah, back at you. It's been good.